Hello, good morning. Welcome back to my channel. This is Janelle Petrosino, and I am here today to share my birth story with you. Um, this is definitely different than my typical episodes. I've never shared my birth story here on my podcast before in the past, uh, but I've been transparently sharing my story on social media for so many years, like nine years now, uh, from infertility to loss to pregnancy to growing my family all the things and it just wouldn't be right if I didn't tell you how the story ended <laughs> after sharing the ins and outs of this past pregnancy. Um, for those of you that follow me on social media, you probably know a little bit about the pregnancy because it happened to be the most difficult one that I've had so far. Um, and the way in which my son came into the world was very traumatic, very different than what I had expected. So I am here to share my story just simply to help uh, provide insight and support to anyone else that might be dealing with something similar or ha that might have experienced birth trauma before. But more importantly, I just want to share the tools that I have been using to help me to find peace of mind again, to get myself feeling better and to work through um, everything that happened. One of the reasons why I created this podcast is so that I could provide tools for other people that are struggling. And so that's what I, I hope to do with this story. But I, I do want to preface this episode with a couple of things. So number one, this is a episode with a trigger warning on it. You know, if you are somebody that uh, does not want to hear the actual details of my birth, um, then this is not the episode for you if you do not want to hear too much information or if you're somebody that is easily triggered by anything pregnancy or birth related that, you know, could potentially go wrong, um, this might not be the episode for you. Number two, I just want to remind you that just because this is my story doesn't mean that it's your story. You know, don't internalize what happened to me, um, and, and assume or stress yourself or make yourself anxious about it happening to you. Everybody's story is different. Um, and one thing that I have learned in the past throughout this whole journey of growing my family is that the worst thing to do is to uh, read into somebody else's journey or story and then convince yourself that that's your story. It's not. And a affirmation... Um, you know, that is very simple that could help you after listening to this story if for whatever reason it doesn't sit well is, you know, different body, different pregnancy. Like you just remind yourself like, hey, this is my story. That's her story. And I just feel like it's important to remind you of that because I have been on the receiving end of, you know, being pregnant and hearing scary things or seeing scary things in Facebook groups and whatnot. And it's not easy sometimes. So I just want you to understand that this is a pretty traumatic story and uh, it's okay, you know, and, and I'm sharing it because I think it's important that um, there's a lot of reasons actually that you advocate for yourself, uh, that you know that you're stronger than uh, you think when you go through hard things and that there's always a way to grow through what you're going through. That's like my whole purpose is to share that. So last but not least, before we dive in, I also just want to remind you, I am not a doctor or medical provider. So in no way am I making recommendations or giving you medical advice whatsoever in regard to your pregnancy or your baby. This is simply my story. 
this is what I decided to do and and what led me down this path is uh you know my story and if you have any questions I'm an open book I would be happy to share more insight about my story however if you have specific questions about your pregnancy or your baby you will want to ask your own medical provider anyway let's dive in I don't know how this is gonna go I've never shared this story or a story of this nature on my podcast before so it's also something that's still very new very raw that I'm dealing with and working through so I'm not sure if it's going to come out me being really serious or really emotional so thank you in advance for giving me grace because yeah this has been a really tough couple of weeks and I'm ready to I'm ready to talk about it so just a little background I have had five pregnancies Um, I had my first one was in 2012. I had an emergency C-section, but it wasn't as traumatic as it could have been. It was just, you know, I, they took the baby out. She was having D-cells. I had a really great, um, recovery process that time. Then after five and a half years of infertility, I got pregnant with my son, Paul, and I found a doctor that supported a vaginal birth after cesarean. So, um, I ended up having him vaginally, which was like my dream. So awesome. Um, I just, I, I I really didn't want to have to go through like the recovery process of a C-section, but, um, yeah. So then I got pregnant for a third time and I had a miscarriage and that was really hard in 2019, but obviously God had a purpose because a couple of months later I got pregnant with my Vincent, who was also a vaginal birth after cesarean. I am a huge supporter of VBACs if it is safe. Uh, so if you are somebody that had a C-section, you should definitely ask your doctor if you are a good candidate for VBACs. Um, the recovery process is just so much better. But obviously to each their own. I've obviously had C-sections and vaginal births and both are so special in that they bring a child into the world. There is no right or wrong or no better or worse, just personal preference. And for me, like vaginal birth was just, it was beautiful and it was a lot easier of a recovery. So anyway, I got pregnant for the fifth time after my husband and I thought we were done having kids. After we got rid of everything, um, we decided that we were not done. So we did get pregnant, and um, this is going to be my story. So in the past, all those other pregnancies were, like, beautiful. Like, I love pregnancy. I usually have a lot of energy. I usually feel like a goddess when I'm pregnant. I usually feel like I'm on top of the world. Um, And this time was really throwing me off because I felt sick to my stomach for the first 14 weeks, which I had never had in the past. Um, Just a lot of nausea and like all around food aversions. And then after 14 weeks, things just started to go haywire. I got diagnosed with COVID at 24 weeks, which was totally fine. I just had um, congestion and whatnot. I didn't actually even know I had COVID because it was nothing like the time I had it the year before. But as a result, the doctors put me on baby aspirin and just like told me that later in pregnancy that they'd be keeping a closer eye because they just really don't know a lot about what 
happens during pregnancy when you have COVID. So that was the beginning of everything kind of going wonky in my pregnancy. Like four weeks later, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which I kind of chuckle because a couple of reasons. One, I've never had it before in the past. Two, I was the absolute healthiest version of myself when I got pregnant this time and during pregnancy. Um, But nonetheless, it happened and I learned a lot about it. So I might make a different podcast about this. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but a couple of things can cause it. Um, heredity. My dad has type two, di- type two diabetes. Uh, also, your age. I'm over 30 now, so that could contribute. And then also, it's just mainly the placenta. So my placenta wasn't working appropriately and was causing insulin resistance, and it was super annoying. I'm going to be completely straightforward. I was such a baby about it. Not because of like it just like it was just another thing like I just felt like oh my gosh like now I have to prick my finger four times a day and like you essentially feel like you have to be on a diet during pregnancy which makes you super grumpy because who the hell wants to do that right you just want to feel like you could eat whatever you want whatever so anyway I figured it out. I actually had completely diet-controlled gestational diabetes, meaning I never even got an abnormal reading once, not one time. Um, I basically followed the meal plan that I've been following since uh, August of 2021, which was awesome. Lots of protein and veggies and nuts and cheese, um, and it was great. So as much as it really stunk and it was annoying and it was just like a thorn in my day, it ended up being okay in regard to like getting it under control. And personally, I mean, I don't really know anyone that would drink like a hundred grams of sugar in two minutes and not get a spike. Like my, I don't, I don't usually have that kind of sugar. So my body was probably like, what the heck? Anyway, nonetheless, a couple of weeks later, I was diagnosed with polyhydramnios. So polyhydramnios means extra fluid in the in the in the womb with the baby um and essentially what that means is that a couple of things it could mean a genetic defect it can mean that the baby is extra big and when the baby urinates that there's a lot of amniotic fluid that it's urinating and or it could have a direct correlation with gestational diabetes um it, it could be idiopathic, meaning you can have polyhydramnios for absolutely no reason. So it's just one of those things that it's like, dang, like with all these things that were happening in my pregnancy, I just started to feel like out of control. Like, okay, now that I had COVID, I had gestational diabetes and polyhydramnios, like now I'm at a higher risk for various different things to happen. And this is when things started to get really tough. So polyhydramnios is when I say idiopathic, it doesn't mean that something bad is going to happen. It just raises your risk of different factors that could happen. So with extra amniotic fluid, it causes, um, you know, the baby to have more room to move around. So the baby might not go head down, or if it does go head down, it has more room to move again. You can end up um, having premature rupture of the membranes, so meaning you break your water early because there's so much pressure. There, it's like really painful sometimes in your rib cage. Also, they worry about like if your water breaks and you have extra fluid that um, you might have what's called a cord prolapse. 
And that means the cord comes out before the baby, which is a medical emergency. So there's just all these different things. And then to top it all off, for whatever reason, they say that you have a higher risk of stillbirth when you have gestational diabetes and or polyhydramnios, which the percentage is actually really small. So you think like, oh, it's a higher risk, but it's still like below 1%. But still, like when your doctor talks to you, about all of those things and those factors. It's just, you know, you go to Google. Even if you don't actually go to Google, like your brain goes to Google. It's like, oh my gosh, you think of the worst case scenarios. Or at least I do because I'm an Enneagram 6. Um, so anyway, with that all being said, the last uh, thing that really is a risk factor for poly is postpartum hemorrhage. So during labor, you're at a higher risk of hemorrhaging because your um, uterus is stretched out so much that sometimes it has a hard time contracting down after you give birth to the placenta. I know your head is probably spinning. You're like, what is all this stuff? And that's like exactly how I felt. Like I just felt so lost this pregnancy because all of these unknowns, all of these things that were out of my control and I just really had to give it to God every day. I've never been so committed to my faith in a pregnancy than I was this time. Um, Daily prayer, daily gratitude, just like so faithful to it because it was the only thing that really helped me to keep my mind peaceful. Um, But anyway, so when things really started to take a turn is like later in the like 30 weeks. So like 35 weeks is when things started to really take a turn in regard to my birth plan because at all this time my doctor was supportive of another vaginal birth um, and decided to do non-stress tests every week just to like track everything being that I had so many risk factors. So that was great for my peace of mind but what really bothered me is that I got an ultrasound um, that basically showed that my baby was really extra large. He was measuring 99 percentile he had a um, abdomen that was measuring like five weeks ahead and then also his head was like really large so she basically told me that she did not support the vaginal birth anymore and wanted to schedule a repeat c-section um mainly because she was scared that he was going to get stuck on the way out so a shoulder dystocia he was supposed to, so projected to weigh around 9 pounds, 15 ounces at 39 weeks. So that didn't really sit well with me. I've birthed larger babies in the past and I just personally didn't feel like that was a, a medical indication for me to have a severe, I say severe, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a a big surgery. Like having a C-section is not a little deal. It's a big surgery. So to have a big abdominal surgery just for that risk um, after doing my own research. So anyway, my husband and I collectively decided to get second and third opinions. And we did find another doctor at another hospital an hour away that agreed that a vaginal birth would be fair with a lower threshold for a C-section. Meaning if anything started to take a turn, Um, that we would, you know, be a higher candidate for a C-section. They're not going to like wait it all out, you know, like how they might let somebody wait like 24 hours or something. And I was okay with that because obviously at the end of the day, all I wanted was safe baby, safe mom, like, but I wanted my body to get the opportunity to do what it was meant to do. So 
38 weeks, four days, I changed providers, which definitely don't recommend. Um, but it ended up being the best decision for us. It was a blessing from God, honestly, that I even got an appointment. It was the week of Thanksgiving. I got an appointment. Not only did she support me, but she got me on the induction list for that week because the other issue with all of like the conditions that I had is that they wanted the baby born as close to 39 weeks as possible to prevent the baby from getting much bigger or blah, blah, blah. So compared to um, a C-section, I, re- I was like, okay with an induction because I've had several in the past. So anyway, long story short, for the first time in my life, Um, my body went into labor on its own. So my induction was scheduled for December 4th. And on November 30th, I started to have cramps after dinner. It was like period cramps. And I had never had that before. I've never gone into spontaneous labor with contractions first ever. And so I was like a little confused. And then I went into the bathroom and I had a little bit of bloody show. And I was like, huh, this is strange. Uh, Because I had just had a non-stress test that day and everything was like fine. I wasn't having regular contractions or anything. So anyway, I called the triage being that we lived an hour away and I told them my symptoms and they were like, you know what, why don't you come in? So we got the kids situated. We drove an hour up there. We got to triage, found out that I was uh, three centimeters and 50% effaced, which was actually the farthest I'd ever been. Like I said, I'd never um, dilated much with my previous pregnancies. I usually had to have the use of Pitocin to get my pregnancy, or I'm sorry, my labor started. Um, And so we got there and they checked me and they said, okay, we're going to give you an hour. If you have more change in your dilation in an hour, then we'll keep you. If not, we'll send you home. So of course, an hour later, they checked me and they sent me home because there was no change. And I was like on the way home in the middle of a snowstorm an hour away. And I'm like, Paul, I do not have a good feeling about this. And he's like, why? And I was like, I just don't feel like I should go home. And he was like, it's fine. Like if we need to go back up there, we'll get you up there. Well, in the middle of the night, I like woke myself up numerous times to like, like noises, like, you know, (laughs) when you're in labor, like you can't prevent like yourself from like, ah, Like I was like waking myself up by like making those noises because it hurt. And I was like, this is strange. Like, cause I, again, I've never had this happen. Most of you are probably like, oh, that's normal. Well, I'd never had that. And at that point, my contractions were seven minutes apart and they told me to come back when they were five minutes apart. So they got more and more intense. I got out of bed at 5 a.m. I was walking around, made coffee. It got to the point where I was like having a hard time breathing through them, even though they were seven minutes apart. So I like was like basically falling on the floor. At one point I was like kneeling on the floor because it hurt so bad. And I was like, this is not normal. So I called the nurse's line when they, when they opened that morning. And I was like, I am having a hard time believing that I should stay at home right now and then I had a contraction on the phone and she's like oh honey you got to get there she's like I could tell by the way you're breathing that you are in labor and I'm like thank you that's what I thought this was like eight hours after they sent me home um anyway so when you know you know trust your instinct if I could go back I would have stayed in a hotel and not drove all the way home but anyway I woke up Paul got our stuff the kids were still with our family so we just ran up there and when we got there I was like five centimeters, a hundred percent effaced. And my amniotic sac was like hanging out of my cervix, which 
I know too much info, but I told you I was going to tell you everything. Um, and the reason I share this detail is because with polyhydramnios, like it's great that I got up there when I did, because if that water had broken, it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have been good. So they saw I was in a lot of pain. They did an ultrasound really quick at the bedside and they saw that the baby's head was still down, but there was a lot of fluid there. So they were like, all right, we're admitting you. They were like really quick about everything. They were like, we want you to get an epidural, which I was okay with. I, being somebody that has a scar on their uterus, I have always had to like pick and choose what was most important to me. So in the past I have gotten an epidural because, um, I wasn't even like able to breathe with my pregnancy with Polly or sorry, my labor with Polly. So to save myself from having to have the surgery, it was actually really good for me to get some rest and calm myself. So I got an epidural. The experience was great. Actually, I did. It was like one of my better experiences of getting one. And I lay down. Paul gets ready to go outside to get all of our bags out of the um, parking garage and the doctor comes in and she's like, okay, we're going to break your water, but we're going to do it controlled. Because remember I told you earlier that when you have extra fluid, um, you know, the baby has a lot of extra room. The biggest concern is that they want the baby's head to come straight down into the cervix when they break your water with Polly. So she was like, I want to make sure that we guide his head down because he is not engaged in your pelvic area at all. And so Paul was like going outside and everything just happened so fast. She came in with like the little thing to break my water. Another doctor came in and, um, first of all, holy crap. If you ever have Polly and your water breaks, please do not be alarmed. (laughs) It is like a dam was completely broken. It is so much fluid. So, so, so much. So she breaks the water and has another doctor like guide the baby down and they're like, her hand is like basically up into my uterus and she's like trying to guide his head while all this fluid's coming out. I'm like, is this normal? And she's like, yep. And then all of a sudden I felt the weirdest feeling in my stomach and this is when everything went out the window And what's so ironic is she was like, you're so lucky to have a baby that's head down with this much fluid. And I was like, I know I like, God has been so good to me, blah, blah, blah. Well, when I felt that movement, the doctor's face turned ghost white and I was like, what? And she was like, well, the baby is not head down anymore. The baby is completely flipped. So Lorenzo went breach and then flipped back to transverse and then started coming out arm first (laughs) and I'm like you have got to be kidding and she's like I'm so sorry we have to do an emergency c-section and I know a lot of people are thinking like oh like couldn't she have helped move him or whatever first and foremost when you have I forgot to tell you guys this at the beginning. I have a bicornuate uterus. If you don't know what that is, look it up. And then I also have a scar in my uterus. So there's a lot of risk factors for me. So when I said earlier, a higher threshold for C-section, that's what I meant. Like they weren't willing to like turn the baby or like do anything crazy because of those things. Also, he had some decelerations with his heart rate. So (laughs) here I am 
all this fluid pouring out of me, being told that I'm getting rushed into a C-section, which is what I wanted to avoid. Paul is outside in the, in the parking garage and it's very traumatic because they had to call a code and she kind of told me, she's like, I'm going to call a code. You're going to hear it. When we get into the operating room, it's going to be a lot of people. Okay. I just want you to like, know that this is what we do. And there's really no going back because at that point, like they said, his heart rate had dipped and all I cared about was that Lorenzo was going to be okay. So I give the girl my phone. I'm like, get my husband. Like I was freaking out and it all happened so fast. They walk into the room. There's literally like 35 people. I kid you not. Fluorescent lights. It's cold. It's just not what you expect. It's really just traumatic. And, uh, so they transfer me to another bed and they put your arms out and they prep you and there's just like millions of people everywhere and I, I didn't know where my husband was so that in itself was really traumatic um it's also traumatic when you go from calm and excited to holy crap in two seconds like I think that that in itself like shocked me um but Right before they got started, Paul came in and they were doing the testing on my body where they try to see if you could feel like wet or wet or hot and cold and just to make sure you're numbed. And I tried telling them that I still felt like a prick, but they had to get started. So they got started and I didn't feel anything except a lot of pressure and like they're telling me like his heart rate's stable so we're gonna take our time and it's just a lot like you it it just like sorry it's just a lot going from that like really excited moment of like you're so lucky that your baby's head down to like laying on a table 10 minutes later them cutting you open is like it's just a lot to process and so it felt like forever, but I heard the baby cry. And one of the things that was really hard is that we didn't know the birth, or I'm sorry, we didn't know the gender until birth. So I was like waiting for that really special moment to find out if I was having a son or a daughter. And that moment was kind of ruined because they just basically yelled out loud what it was. And then they tried to hold him over the drape so I could see, but I didn't see him. So I like lost that moment that I waited for like nine months for, which was really hard. Um, but Lorenzo peed on my face when they held him over the curtain. So that's something that I will never forget. Um, but at that point when they pulled him out, I started to feel a lot of pain. And I don't remember anything else. They ended up um, putting me under fully with a breathing tube and um made Paul and Lorenzo leave and basically what ended up happening was when they took the baby out in that position he like busted through a part of my uterus that um had a major blood vessel that broke like when he came out so essentially his arm or his leg like busted the incision on my uterus open more and then broke a blood vessel. So I lost a lot of blood. Apparently, um, I wasn't awake anymore, but 
I lost enough blood to need blood transfusions, um, which is something that I struggle with, um, super grateful for, you know, but I struggle with that thought, um, that I lost that much blood and, and that all happened in the blink of an eye. And so what ended up happening is they needed to do like surgery on the blood vessel to like make sure that they stopped the bleeding. And then they also saw like a lot of blood near my liver. So they were afraid that there had been like an injury to my liver. So they had to have like general surgeons come in and things like that um, to ensure that everything was okay. And it did turn out that my liver was okay. It was just like all of the blood that I had lost from my uterus that was in my like abdominal cavity, which is gross. And I'm sorry, I told you trigger warning in the beginning. Um, but yeah, like I woke up in recovery by myself and didn't know what was going on at all, which was horrible. I did not meet my baby for five and a half hours. So I had him at 12 and I didn't meet him until close to 6 PM. And yeah, I just was in a lot of pain and I was completely out of it and just felt so robbed of like, my moment, you know, I'm grateful to be alive and I know things could have been so much worse, but it was just a fluke thing. Like he ended up being eight pounds, 15 ounces. So he was a pound less. And my doctor came in to visit me that night and was like, you would have been able to have him vaginally. Like you, you were there. Like you made the right decision. You knew instinctively that his size was, and she's like, don't beat yourself up. It was a fluke thing. Like he just flipped during labor. Like he's a little pooper. (laughs) He flipped during labor and then busted my uterus and peed on my face. And (laughs) I have to say all these things to laugh about it because I just feel like he's going to be the feistiest one yet. (laughs) But, um, yeah. And, you know, I met him and it was great, but I never got to do like any of the uh, things that I love, you know, like the delayed cord clamping and the skin to skin and the immediate breastfeeding. And they fed him formula and I didn't even really, you know, obviously, what was he going to do for five hours? It's just... You know, it's just it's just when you have your heart set on something or you you picture it a certain way and then it turns out a different way. It's not that you're ungrateful. It's just hard, you know? It's just so hard. So anyway, we're both here. We're both okay. Um, God is good and that's my story. And obviously there's more to the story, you know. You have to learn how to get up and walk again. And then when they take the catheter out, going to the bathroom is a bitch. I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. Like, there's just so many different things that you deal with when you are recovering from not only a surgery, but something traumatic that you're mentally, you know, trying to wrap your head around. And then also you go home and you have four kids. It's just been a, it's been a journey. Um, I've been sleeping on the couch. 
at first I couldn't even really get up and hold the baby and it's just been a lot it's been a lot and I couldn't do any of it without Paul like he is truly a godsend he is like an angel on earth he is the best husband and best father in the entire world and I literally couldn't do it without him I'm sorry to be corny but I could not do it without him like he has been my rock and he's been so sweet and patient with me because um it's just been hard you know but here we are, we're two and a half weeks postpartum, post-op, and I'm doing little things again. I'm able to wash the dishes, I'm able to shower by myself, I'm able to fold laundry, I'm able to pee without putting my hands on the toilet first. <laughs> if you're a C-section mom, if you know, you know, you know. Um, it's just, you know, a different world, and I think the hardest part for me is that What has always helped my mental health is being active. So exercising and going for a walk and moving my body. And that's like the one thing that I can't do right now. So um, it's been really hard. So anyway, thank you for listening to my story. Um, There are so many things that I can say about it, but I'm going to stop because this is getting lengthy, but I do want to just share some of the things that have been helping. So one of the things that really has helped is just being completely transparent with my friends and family about how I'm feeling. Um, I've tried it in the past where I like keep my feelings in and it, it, it doesn't do me any good personally. So I've just been really open. Like if I feel sad or scared or overwhelmed, I just tell Paul and we talk about it. And that's just been really great because I feel like when he knows how I'm feeling, Um, he knows how to respond. And I think that that's so important. Um, another thing that I've been really doing is just staying tried and true to my faith. So continuing to practice gratitude, like little things, like I'm so grateful for my life, which is not a little thing, but I'm so grateful to have taken a shower by myself today. I'm so grateful to be healing and getting a little bit better every day. Just really like, just navigating like my mindset to be intentional to focus on all the good things I'm grateful for a healthy little boy like just you know saying those things out loud every day it really does help I also love praying for other people so I just I have a lot of pregnant friends and a lot of friends trying to conceive a lot of other friends that are going through hard times so I spend a little bit of time every day just sending positivity and prayer to them because it takes my mind off of my own pity and my own sadness and my own frustration and it creates a positive energy that it just truly brings me peace um, to know that I'm just like instead of worrying about me I'm focusing on sending positivity to other people so if you've never done that as a daily practice I really recommend it it could be absolutely life-changing um Another thing that's been helping me so much is uh, the supplement line that I've been using. Oh my gosh, my friend recommended this product to me uh, at the end of my pregnancy when I was struggling with everything going on. And it is a product that really helps to release endorphins um, in improving your your gut brain access. So what that means is like improving not only your digestion and your gut health, which if you don't know this, like all chronic illness stems from the gut. So it's super important to keep a good gut health, especially after surgery, but also your 
your mindset. So your mental wellness, it helps to boost endorphins that help you to feel positive and less anxious and less stressed. And so this same product that I was using during pregnancy, I have been using postpartum and it has been so amazing how much it has um, really just like helped me to just be intentional with my mindset and dig deeper to find that motivation to say, oh, you know, maybe I can't work out, but I'm going to go clean the kitchen, you know, or I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit more patient with my kids, despite the fact that I'm going through this monumental, uh, journey right now. And so that has been a true godsend and it's delicious. So if you ever have any questions about, uh, this product, feel free to reach out to me, Janelle underscore N underscore Petrosino. P-E-T-R-O-S-I-N-O on Instagram. You can find me there. Um, I have a link and I also have a discount code. That stuff is magic. And the other reason why I'm so excited about it is that anyone that knows me knows that I have like pretty high standards about what I put into my body. Absolutely the cleanest ingredients. So if you're a holistic living person like me and you're all all about that this is definitely for you so uh, let me know I have a discount code like I said and then um so the other things that I've been doing are so I am like a big supporter of like daily rituals like I love doing things daily that set me up for success and positivity and so every day I'm creating a little ritual where I do something that I look forward to so that usually is like having coffee and or talking to a friend and then I also set myself up for success with my meals so like I focus on what I'm gonna have at each meal like I kind of do some meal planning so because that's like one thing that I can focus on in my recovery to help me to feel strong right now and then I also give myself one or two tasks around the house each day to get me up and moving and to get me a little bit more active so that I could get back to myself as soon as possible so These are some of the things that have been really helping me. I think that it's really important to know like that there are little daily things that you can do to help yourself through a hard time. Even if you're not going through a traumatic birth experience, but you're just going through a hard time. Maybe you're going through a career change or a divorce or a breakup or something like that. Like sometimes just filling your mind with positivity and and giving yourself something positive to focus on can really help you to take that first, second, and third step to getting back to you and those are the the most difficult steps so the coolest thing about this is that you know these daily practices will evolve with time pretty soon I'm claiming it I'm going to look back and I'm going to be stronger version of who I am today because of this and I know that one day it'll all make sense but in the meantime I'm just giving myself grace giving myself the opportunity to feel what I feel without any judgment I think that's a really really important daily practice like stop judging yourself if you are going through something and you do cry about it or you know you want to journal about it or you feel sad or you feel mad like I've learned that it's okay like it's okay to grieve something that you so desperately wanted and that you didn't get like it's okay it doesn't mean that you're ungrateful or that you're bad um because you grieve that like let yourself feel what you feel without judgment and support yourself because you are your greatest support um and yeah just 
find other people that get what you're going through. That's my last tip. Like people that know what you've gone through or that have gone through something similar. Like sometimes it's just so nice to know that there's somebody that gets it. Like, so you're not just going through the trenches by yourself. Um, but yeah, that's my birth story. You know, it's, it's still really raw and there's a lot of things about it that I'm working through, but I know that at the end of the day, I'm lucky to be here and I am going to use this life that I have to, uh, be purposeful and impact lives and, uh, find strength in my struggle. That's the whole point of my podcast. So, with all that being said, thank you for being a safe place for me to share my story without any judgment. Um, thank you for all the support that I've received along the way during this pregnancy, labor, and delivery process. And thank you for the permission to grieve and uh, go through the motions of trying to find my new normal after this experience. Um, if you are somebody that's struggling with tra- a traumatic experience and you're looking for someone to talk to, please feel free to reach out. Uh, if you're looking for that discount code, reach out on Instagram and yeah, share this episode with anyone that you think might benefit from it or might uh, see value. But yeah, thanks friend and I will see you next episode. Take care.